You're listening to the You Don't Know Me Yet Podcast Network. This right here, that's ignorance. Ignorance is just a lack of exposure or understanding to. I'm not saying he's stupid. I'm not saying he's dumb. I'm not going to call him a monster. I'm going to say that that's, those are ignorant com- comments. Those are ignorant choices. Those are ignorant feelings. And that is something that can be worked on and changed. Um, but I'm also not going to give him a pass for being a grown man and being in that position and saying those things because you know what you're doing. So don't try to pretend, John Gruden, that you don't know what you're doing or what you were saying. Until a diverse team of executives dots the front office personnel ranks of every team in the NFL, this culture will continue. That and much more coming up on the Culture of Sports podcast with Mark Watts and Eric Davis. And welcome into the Culture of Sports podcast. I'm Mark Watts alongside Eric Davis, Super Bowl champion Eric Davis with the 49ers. Eric the Davis, as I call him. And E, today we have an explosive topic. The rise and fall of John Gruden. I cannot wait to hear what you have to say on this one. But first, good morning to you, my brother. Have you had your coffee and are you ready to roll? I'm ready to roll. I'm in the middle of my coffee. I haven't had it yet, but I'm in the middle of my first cup. Um, But that's okay. I I got enough caffeine in me to talk about this subject. All right. Full (laughs) Full disclosure to our viewers, you and I do not rehearse. We agree on the topic we're going to talk about. Eric always says to me, I don't want to talk about what we're going to talk about. I'll see you in the studio. So we're in the studio. He's ready to roll. And my first question to you, what were your first thoughts and words when you heard the news of John Gruden's resignation? Um, Typical. It's typical. That's society that's what goes on it never shocks me when something happens in a locker room uh, that's happening everywhere else in the world mm-hmm. now, everyone else is up in arms and everyone else is you know you, you hear this gasp uh, from the sports world and from media on how how wow i can't believe that this is going on i can't believe that that just happened i can't believe that these people um would do something like that how could a football coach possibly be that way Oh, well, they're just human beings. Mm-hmm. They're just human beings. And I was just like, that's just another example. That was really my first thought. That's just another example of um, humans being human. And um, you don't change that part of you just because you get the title of head football coach of an NFL team. That was my first thought. Mm-hmm. So officially in the history books, it will be written as something like this. Uh, Gruden said he did not want to be a distraction to the team. He resigned at a time that his team was three and two, and he resigned amidst a scandal that revealed repeated pattern of usage of homophobic, sexist, and racist language in describing people in and around the NFL. Those words that Coach Gruden used surfaced in emails. What have we said so many times about email? 
Well, you got to assume, number one, that whoever you write the email to is not going to be the last person to see it, mm-hmm. the only person to see it. And that's and, and the thing about it was even more, more so than, you know, we've always said when we go back and forth, we've always said these things about about writing or about writing emails or any type of notes or any type of communication in that way. And you, you're leaving these receipts. So now it's documented is, you know, it's it's in the stone tablet. <laughs> that's that's what you said. And now you get into uh, that written word and it being misconstrued. That's, that's always going to be the issue. That's not what I meant. Those were not my intent. That's, that was not the intent. Those were not my intentions. But you put that on paper. That's number, that's number one. Um, the bigger issue, as opposed to not doing it and not knowing to do it, the bigger issue to me um, is that you have to look at the fact, as I started this off by saying it just immediately, I was like, that's just society. The bigger, the bigger issue is for you to blatantly feel the comfort of being able to say those things to others with no concern about repercussion. No repercussions. No concern of any, of any harm coming to you when you make comments like that. Being in that comfortable area, being in that comfortable place, that's really what I started thinking about. That's what I've been looking at through all of this. That's not much what was said. I'm not shocked. <laughs> I'm not shocked. If you're walking through, yeah, I'm 53 years old. If you're walking through life, and I'm not only, I'm a 53-year-old black man from Alabama. <laughs> it, I'm not shocked that there are that there are people out there that feel that way or would make some of the comments that Gruden made. Um, but still, it's still alarming to me, the comfort level in which someone in that position, um, dealing, and this is someone who has dealt with, I've known John Gruden since 1990, Mm. someone who's dealt with, so someone who's had, had to deal, and I'm saying had to deal, may not necessarily wanted to deal, but had to deal and um work with be intertwined with in an intimate setting that locker room is such an intimate setting those coaches office that's such an intimate setting you had to be intertwined with black individuals all of that time even as as an analyst as a coach all of these things that's not a white only business Uh, especially football we know that's a predominantly black business yeah um, from a player standpoint 70 percent but to be intertwined with all of that and still have the comfort level to feel that way and say those things and do those things, that's that's incredible. That's the part right there that I think is a bigger discussion. Well, these words surfaced in emails that were surrendered and came forward as a result of an of an NFL investigation into the culture of the workplace of the then Washington Redskins, the now Washington football team, which is owned by embattled, the embattled Daniel Snyder. More on that later. But first, if we're going to discuss the fall of John Gruden, let's at least build him up, which in some respects explains the magnitude of the story. You said you've known Gruden uh, for 30 years. He was well-liked in NFL circles. He was well-respected by the media, and he was very well-paid. I've heard Sapp talk about him, Uh, Rondé Barber. 
And many of his players, like Derek Carr, would run through a brick wall for him. How accurate would it be to say, at least on the outside, prior to October 8th, it appeared that he had it all going, going on? He was lured back into coaching with a 100 million, that's 100 million 10 year contract. Well, outside looking in, yeah, he was the golden boy. He was the golden boy from ESPN. I mean, you look at it uh, on the coaching tree. Um, he came from that San Francisco 49ers coaching tree, and and um, that's where I first met him uh, when when he was the coach there. When I was a young player, mm-hmm. follows Gruden, uh, the offensive coordinator from there leaves. He follows Gruden, and then he starts working with wide receivers and works his way up. I think quarterback, coach, coordinator, all those type things. So yes, he was he was the golden boy. Um, goes, he goes to ESPN and, and, um, he's the next Madden, you know, he, he becomes, he becomes that, that because of, you know, the, the quirky faces and, and the animation that he has, it's good for TV. Uh, you know, he became, you know, this much must watch type announcer so that, you know, his popularity grew. So he was an extremely popular guy. He was extremely, he was an extremely popular player that everyone was into. Um, but that doesn't that doesn't mean that he didn't feel the feel this way. It's obvious. <laughs> he was that same popular guy, but he was sending these emails. Hmm. It looks like he was somewhat of a monster underneath all this. How can a person like this exist in the NFL, which allows players to put stickers on its helmets, advocating for racism to end? to stop the hate, yet at the same time employ a disgraceful individual such as this. And the paradox of all this is that he called Michael Sam a queer, yet one of his own players, uh, Carl Nassib, came out as the first openly gay player in the NFL. Well, I'm going to go in reverse order. Number one, um, Carl was on his team. He knew nothing about Carl. Um, he didn't know Carl's um, personal life until Carl told him. Uh, you know, I've said that for years. We've done things. We've done our brand guard courses. We've talked to um, groups. And, and I've always told them that there, there have been, and what, what did I say at that time? I mean, this was a few years back. What did I say? There were gay guys in the league when I played. Like Michael Sam was not the first gay NFL player. I was like, there were gay guys when I played. There are gay guys after I played, since I played, I said, there are gay guys in the league right now. I said this, correct, a few years ago. I was like, I said, mm-hmm. just because they don't tell you doesn't mean that that doesn't exist. This happens everywhere. The football locker room is no different than the rest of society. So how can, they, why would this be the only place on planet Earth where there's no one who's gay? <laughs> That's just not the case. That's not going to happen. It's no big deal. Believe it or not, the ball players aren't the Neanderthals that everyone believed them to be. They don't care. If you can perform and do your job, you're happy. It, there's, there's not a ball. It, now, with that being said, are there, will there be individual players that will have an issue with it? Yes, just like in every other aspect of the world. But what will supersede that desire to not like them is the fact that they can ball out. They can play. Guess what? You become my new best friend. If you're a really good ball player and I need you to play. So that's number that's number one. Now back to John Gruden and being a monster. Right. 
you thought I was going to forget that part, did you? No, it, no, it, no. Hits in the head didn't get me. But being, go ahead. What was that? No, no, no. I was going to say, uh, picking up on what you were, what you said about the NFL locker room that they're not the Neanderthals. I'm presuming you're going to say the NFL is no different than any organization. It has monsters and bad apples in it as well. The NFL is no different than any other organization in that aspect that you're going to have all the other um, views of society. All the other societal views are going to be a part of it because everyone else involved in the NFL actually grew up in the same world. <laughs> okay. Now, which sector of that world you grew up in, and we're talking about the Billionaires Boys Club, if we're talking about the, the leadership of the league, well, they didn't grow up in the same neighborhood that we grew up in. Uh, but they but they grew up in that same world during those times where they they have certain worldviews. Um, monster that you used on John Gruden. See, I'm not going to go monster. I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to call him a monster. I'm not going to say that those views are that how he views the world and the things that he said and what he did um, puts him in the monster category. Because reason I'm going to say that because everyone has something that they view differently that they don't understand that they feel some kind of way about mm -hmm. every every human being has that the question is how do you deal with the difference how much do you want to learn about the difference um how do you approach the difference do you approach it um as an equal or do you approach it that difference as um, inferior, how, how do you truly view it? And that's the, again, that's the thing about John. Is he a monster for feeling that way? Um, I don't, I don't know if I'd call it a monster if I, or if I'd call it ignorance. So yeah, that's, that's the, that's the route I take on it. I'm because I'm not going to sit here and condemn them. You, um, I don't have to like it, but I don't like it. So I, I can put that out there. Don't like what he said. Don't like um, hit, hit the thought process. Don't don't like that you are that that encompasses who you are. Don't like it. Um, but understanding it, that you, that's a difference that you don't know. That, that's some education. That's that's a conversation. Those are some things that we can start talking about. And that's that's what I think we do to move things forward. That's how we move this entire conversation to the next level that we have conversations with people that say these things because that's just that's just ignorance mm -hmm. and yes that ignorance is spread throughout the nfl just like it's spread throughout every other aspect of society how does the nfl fix this culture from existing within the national football league and within the 32 teams how do you fix it in the world See, that's the question I throw to you. How do you fix it in the world? There's no magic wand, Mark. There's there's no way. So so my immediate answer to that, and you know I like to just answer the question that you asked, but I had to throw that one out there. The question that you asked, how does the NFL fix it? Easy answer, they don't. They don't. They're not going to. It's not going to happen. You're not going to fix it because you're not going to find a world in which everyone understands every other um, culture. You're just simply not going to do it. And, it. and it doesn't matter. We can say, okay, hire all black coaches. Cool. That will, for the 70% of the black guys that 
are in that league that encompasses the NFL, yes, that's going to put them on a better surface, a better ground, a better understanding of the coaching staff and things like that, uh, maybe a better view of the culture that you grew up in, but you're not going to understand all the white guys. Those black coaches aren't going to understand the 30% of the white guys. It's a different world. There so it's, is, it's more, go, go ahead. But, uh, there is something called the Rooney rule that depending on who you talk to has or has not really worked to uh, what Mr. Rooney intended it to do. But going back to the question that you asked me, until a diverse team of executives dots the front office personnel ranks of every team in the NFL, this culture will continue. Exactly, exactly. So, well, I, this, this is gonna have to be a situation in which it's not even the, um, where I don't even know if there's anything that could be done other than, if there anything can be done other than a group coming together and saying, this is how we want the rules to be. So you're saying you put together this diverse community um, committee and they say, this is what we want. And the, these, these aspects, sort of like what's just happening with Gruden, this won't be accepted. That's what has happened in the world. These, these good old boy things and, and the comments that were made and, and uh, the comments that are within these emails, once upon a time, and, and that's why I started this off by saying just the privilege and, and, the, and the, the lack of concern about those things coming out and, and the ability to feel comfortable just making those comments to others um, lets you know that there is a certain landscape that they're operating in. And we always got to know the landscape that you are actually doing your work in mm -hmm. and how to navigate through it. You got to know that. So if you put together that committee, everyone can say, this is how it's going to be. But Mark, I think it's impossible for you still to get the truth out of that because those biases aren't going to go. They're going to be there. Um, and as long as those biases are there, you have no way of, you have no way of policing them, you know? Go, go ahead, because I have one more thing to say on that. No, I agree with you. Um... And throughout the course of my journalist career, I've, I've covered so many issues like this internationally in South Africa, where I did a story called The Ghost of Apartheid Will Always Remain, regardless of what laws are put on the books. Mm -hmm. You can abolish apartheid, but that's not going to end racism. You can put people in position in the NFL that's never going to prevent the hidden monsters from existing within the culture. I get agree. Finish up on this, and then I want to transition into those four crucial days from October 8th, 9th, 10th, and 11th when Gruden resigned. You, you had something to say on this. Oh, well, I think I was going to end it, and I see the, the hits in the head may be coming in right now. <laughs> so, I, I think what I was where I was heading was just that about the the entire um, races aspect of it. That committee will do nothing more than hide it. If these emails had not come out, John Gruden would still be viewed as the same Chucky on the sideline. That in no way changes who he is as a person. 
Right. It just would have not, it wouldn't have been known. He would have still been the golden boy with the big contract. And let's see what happens. He would have been the ESPN guy that everybody liked. And he would have been the, the head coach on the sideline. And let's see if, if he can still make something happen after his 10 years off. None mm-hmm. of that would have changed, but it doesn't change the person who is. So that's what I'm saying. Those rules being put in place, as yeah. you said, and after it, you know, it doesn't apartheid ending doesn't remove racism from planet Earth. Putting putting black guys, it, you know, that's a step forward. <laughs> well, that's a whole different conversation that we'll have at another time. But putting black guys and and head coaches as head coaches doesn't change the overall view of the people in charge of the league if they feel that way right some of it is window dressing and even when you look at the very franchise that this person worked the raiders the team that hired the first minority coach to win a super bowl tom flores who won it twice art shell hired in 1989 the first black head coach in the nfl in the modern era fritz pollard actually um was head coach of the Akron pro football team back mm-hmm. in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get his love. <laughs> Even with a team that put forth that culture, this person was able to permeate the Oakland Raiders franchise. And who knew until October 8th that he harbored all of this in his mind and in his heart uh, while was a very popular figure and influencer in NFL, in NFL circles. Yeah, well, there you go. It's just that. Um, who knew? You just said it. Who knew that that, was, that is what he harbored? No one knew that. And I mean, you, and you talk about Al Davis and you talk about Mark and the Raiders organization, and you just mentioned the minority hires. You didn't even mention, you know, Amy Trask, one yeah. of the first women in, in the NFL that, were, that, was in, that was allowed to be in a position of power. Didn't even mention her, um, but that's what they did. That's who. The, that's who the Raiders organization are. That's what they've done. And with that being said, um, you, still you can't change that because of as you, what you just said. You have no way of knowing. You have no way of knowing, and that's just society. So all we could, all you can do is when you find out, make some changes. And that's what the, that's what happened with the Raiders. It just can't be acceptable. And you and then that is what will eventually um, that will shorten the divide. And in no way are we saying the Raiders and the John Gruden are the only the Raiders and the John Gruden in the NFL. No, of course not. Of course not. I mean, as I just said, it's not about being a monster. I'm, I'm not going to go there. I just that because that's me saying that. Um, my thought process, my way, my, my ability to learn or change or, you know, is far superior to everyone else's. Uh, this right here, that's ignorance. Ignorance is just a lack of exposure or understanding to. I'm not saying he's stupid. I'm not saying he's dumb. I'm not going to call him a monster. I'm going to say that that's, those are ignorant com- comments. Those are ignorant choices. Those are ignorant feelings. And that is something that can be worked on and changed. Um, but I'm also not going to give him a pass for being a grown man and being in that position and saying those things because you know what you're doing. So don't try to pretend, John Gruden, that you don't know what you're doing or what you were saying. So, so that that's the part of it that we'll see, and, it, and it's going to it's still around the league, as you said, it's, it's there. I can push back on the wording that I used as a monster 
And I, but I, because I also want to say this, you don't have to push back. <laughs> I liked John. I liked John Gruden a lot. Uh, when I ran the on-air talent unit of the NFL Network from 2012 to late 2015, I looked at Gruden as a possible hire that we could add to our on-air team. And every year when I reached out to his people, they told me, no, Mark, he's locked under tight contract with ESPN. Yeah, he's the golden boy. He was. Yes. Let's, let's, let's home in on those four crucial days Starting with October 8th, this is a story that broke in the Wall Street Journal. Andrew Beaton, very fine reporter, he reported that John Gruden, in describing DeMora Smith, the NFL PA executive director, described D in this fashion, quote, dumb Morris Smith has lips the size of blank Michelin tires went on to describe Smith as having, quote, rubber lips. That was from a 2011 email regarding the NFL player lockout. What did Gruden mean when he described D. Smith as having rubber lips? <laughs> now, I don't. I, I was in Las Vegas at the time. I mean, I mean, I know what he said, what he said he meant, but I, I don't know. And, and I don't know what he meant, but I can say this much. It wasn't meant in a positive manner. Right. We know that much. It was meant in a derogatory manner. Now, how far down the rabbit hole does that go? Mm -hmm. How far down, you know, was that meant, you know, that, okay, well, rubber lips, that's what I call guys who don't tell the truth. That's what right. I call guys who talk out both sides of their mouth. Or that's what he down, said. That's what he said. Does it go down to, you know what, I'm talking about the way his lips look in comparison to mm -hmm. rubber tires. So that's that's the whole thing that comes out when you start putting these things in print. When that's where that whole written word right. um, loses context and meaning. I don't know what he meant, but as I said, I know it, it wasn't to flatter DeMars. It was not in a complimentary way. And when pressed on the issue, Gruden said, I used a horrible way of explaining it. I don't think he's dumb. I don't think he's a liar. I don't have a racial bone in my body. And I've proven that for 58 years, end quote. What'd you make of that comment? Um, well, that, again, that's, you asked me, how did I feel about this when it initially happened? Yeah. That's typical. That, that's what he's going to say. Right. That's the that's the tough part about all of this. When you get yourself in that situation, he's made comments that have put himself in this situation. And um, that's what he is going to say. Rarely, rarely. I mean, every now and then you'll get the cast. Like I said, it and I meant it. Um, because that's how they truly feel. Um, subconsciously. And it could be subconscious. So I'm, again, like I said, I'm not going to go monster. I'm just going to say it's ignorance. Um, Subconsciously, he may feel like no, I, I don't feel that way. I didn't mean these things. I don't I, I don't view him, you know, I didn't view him as dumb. Um, I didn't, you know, in no way am I racist and I wasn't trying to go there, but that goes back to that um disregard for how your view is seen because you feel superior to the people you are discussing. You feel superior to the races that you are discussing. Um, DeMora Smith was in a much more powerful position 
than John Gruden when he was um, an announcer, even the golden boy for ESPN. Mm-hmm. That's not that's not as powerful a position as DeMore Smith is in, but John Gruden still felt comfortable enough to make these derogatory comments about him. Um, and that's a privileged thing. That is. That's an understanding that what I say is more important than what you say. That's a feeling. Mm-hmm. That denial is part of the mindset of a racist. And experience has taught me this. Um Whenever an accused hits back with an over-the-top, strong, firm denial of something, I'm led to believe that the contrary to what that person is probably very, very true. And when I heard it, when I, when I first heard that, when he said, I don't have a racial bone in my body, and I've proven that for 58 years, you know what that reminded me of? What's that? 1995, no, 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 1994, the O.J. Simpson trial, Mark Furman, detective, came on the witness stand and said he has never, never used the N-word. When I heard that, I said, "Uh uh-uh, there's something large underlying all well i mean you know i'm not going to throw gruden and Furman. i don't know Furman. well what what he meant was that i've never said the n-word to anyone that is going to tell you i said it absolutely and that's that's what but that's not what he was asked on trial is it have you ever used it in casual terms or anything i got it i know and that's what i'm saying the same with gruden i the comments, I don't have this racist bone in my body. I don't feel this way. They're, they're, I'm not going to say anything um, misogynistic. I'm not going to say anything homophobic. I'm not going to say anything racist. Uh, well, I'm not going to say it to anyone that's going to react um, in a negative manner towards me. I'm not going to be racist towards the black guy. I'm not going to make the comments, uh, the homophobic comments to the gay guy. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to do those things because those are comments that can come back to bite me. And I know who I'm dealing with. I'm going to say it to people who are of like minds. Good stuff. Good stuff as always. He's Eric Davis. I'm Mark Watts. You've been listening to the Culture of Sports podcast. So long, everybody. See you next time.